Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz Today. Today. It's Tony Katz Today, and I'm Stacey Washington filling in for Tony. And guess what? Um, You've got me all day today. So this is going to be a pleasure. I love it when I get to come on here and fill in for him, give him a respite. You know, he's one of the hardest working men, if not the hardest working man in radio. And uh, he's, he's such a fantastic voice. I personally actually just like listening to him just so I can hear his voice. Yeah. <laughs> I've always been one of Tony Katz's biggest fans. So it's a pleasure to be with you. I know we have so much to talk about today. In fact, first, let me just get this stuff out of the way. I'm Stacy Washington, known as Stacy on the right on all of the online social media. And I have a new role as communications director of familyvisionmedia.org, familyvisionmedia.org. You can go there. We actually have a new resource out. It's a guide and we'll be presenting these periodically to help with issues and last week's guide the first one that we've ever put out is called how to talk with your kids about political issues and it's the college edition and you can scroll through it is uh you know subtitled help my college kid came home indoctrinated or maybe you're sending a college kid off in the fall this guide will help you kind of navigate that and it has a couple of resources on there and whether or not you're you know a a person of faith or not, it, the information there is very relevant. It's excellent. And it works because I'm sharing some of the strategies and things that we've used here at our house. We have two kids in college right now, and um, it has been an interesting journey for them coming from a conservative household where they have these kind of, these are their beliefs. It's their worldview that they operate out of and going into school and really hearing a lot about um, not just different beliefs because they have friends who are not conservatives. They always have. But kind of hearing it straight from the teacher's mouth in a very open fashion as if there is no other viewpoint. That is different because usually they're presented with information and then allowed to decide on their own. So this is something that you have to kind of prepare your kids for or if they're already there. You have to kind of be able to talk them back from the ledge to be able to have a discussion with them. And some of the kids are they're not coming home just indoctrinated. They're coming home rapidly angry at their parents. They've been told for five, six, maybe eight weeks straight that their parents are racist, white supremacist capitalists who are out to inflict harm on anyone who has any melanin at all. And so they come home to you like that. And you're like, what do, what do I do with this person? I love them. This is my child. In your mind, if you're like me, you look at them and part of you is seeing a baby <laughs> like you're actually superimposing the image of them as a baby over the top of this adult that you're looking at so you love this person you want to communicate with them and you want to understand why they all of a sudden are either hating you or at least thinking some of the very worst things possible about you and all you did was send money uh, care packages and maybe drive up to visit a few times and now this so check out the guide. It's at familyvisionmedia.org. Obviously, we want your email address so that we can email you the download. Then you have the download on your computer. It's a PDF and it's not just a blog post. It's a beautifully composed. You can print it and share it with a friend. Um, It has imagery on it and it's it's a great piece, um, especially for our first one. And I think they're just going to continue to become even more stellar as we progress. So check it out at familyvisionmedia.org. You can learn more about me at stacyontheright.com. So today on the show, We're going to talk a little bit about uh, President Trump being the first racist president, even though he didn't say, I'll have those bleeps voting for the Democrats for the next 200 years, uh, 
President Trump never owned any slaves. I mean, you know, there's there's we've had some pretty interesting presidents in America. And I'm not one of those people who dislikes our old old your old white men, which is what the Democrats called them. I, I, I think they were fantastic. In fact, this was the only way it could have gone down. OK, in in the era in which our country was founded, slavery was the thing. It was actually on the rise. And so while William Wilberforce worked in Great Britain to abolish slavery, we had our founders making a compromise with slave owning states in order to form a union that could break away from England and then at a later date address slavery. And so since it had to happen that way, and I'm not here to argue with you about it because history is what it is. And you arguing with me on Twitter or anywhere else about whether or not we needed a war or whether or not it was about uh, state sovereignty or slavery. None of that means a hill of beans. None of arguing about it. None of us arguing or having a discussion about it angrily will change what happened in history. What we can change is the way we talk to each other and the way we act about what we have. Do we want to preserve it? Do we want to spend time fighting each other like the people at the Lincoln Project, the never Trumpers fighting Republicans so that they can elect Democrats, which they originally said was the opposite of what they wanted to do? Classic, perfect example of people shooting themselves in the foot over and over and over again and wondering why their feet hurt. The Lincoln Project and all of those never Trumpers. Are we going to emulate them or are we going to go back to what the founders said? It's it's a republic if you can keep it. A republic means we have representation, but that the ultimate power rests with us. So we don't have to burn anything down. We don't have to have mob actions. We don't have to do riots. We don't have to do any of that because we have the ability to elect new people if the ones we have in we don't like. We have the ability to recall individuals from Washington, D.C. or like here. I mean, we we should be recalling our county executive right this minute. And we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, come coming forward in the in the program. We're also going to discuss the McCloskeys, who there's some new things going on with that story, specifically that the firing pin was not installed correctly on Mrs. McCloskey's gun, the little silver pea shooter she was carrying. So it was actually not functional when she was waving it around with her finger on the trigger. So we'll we'll talk about the details of that. And then the coronavirus false positives, the tests. What's up with that? Um, did, did you p- possibly see Dr. Burks yesterday explaining that if 1% of your population has the virus and you're using a test that is only 99% specific, that 50% of the tests will be false positives. So basically the test is only 50% effective. Now, you tell me the last time you went to the doctor's office and they gave you a blood test or recommended some kind of testing for you and said, oh, by the way, this test is only effective 50% of the time. Would you even bother with that? Especially now that we actually have to itemize, you get these lists of the itemization of everything that you've had done to you at the doctor's office, every test, every procedure, all that. And it's all broken down by cost. And then you have the insurance portion that they pay. And then the rest of it's your responsibility. I would never submit to a test that had a 50 percent false positive rate. So why are we doing it? If if the test doesn't work, why are we taking it? And if the masks work, uh, uh, we'll get to it. We'll get into that. And then lastly, education. What is going on with you with education where you are right now? Parents across the country are actually addressing what's going to happen with my kids in the fall. Now, a lot of colleges have already said they're either opening or they're doing virtual only. 
um, Harvard was one of the first ones out of the gate announcing that they were still going to charge you 55 grand for virtual learning. <laughs> here's a here's a quick tip for you. Uh, Liberty University has been doing virtual learning for, I don't know, 20 years. And they, they I mean, they've written the book on it and they don't charge anywhere near 55,000 and your kid will not be indoctrinated. So they also have a dual enrollment curriculum for homeschool kids. And even if you're in a high school and you want to take a college level class from them and get credit. As a high schooler, you can do that. Um, Liberty University, I'd check it out if you are interested in in some kind of online learning option that is constitutional and good for your kids. Um, and I also recommend that every parent check out the dual enrollment programs at the colleges and universities that are nearby you. A lot of them have them. So we'll talk about pandemic pods that are fundamentally reshaping K through 12 education. And this is parents who their kids have this virtual option. Um, only, and they're not satisfied with that. So they're going to do the online virtual learning, but they want classroom instruction. So they're creating pods of kids with their friends and neighbors, and they're hiring teachers to come over and teach. Um, yes, I'm in, I'm, I'm here for it. I can't wait to see how that develops. So um, we'll discuss that as well. So it's time that we go off to the break. When we get back, we're going to listen to a little bit of audio from Joe Biden, who says, that President Trump is the very first racist president. You're going to you don't want to miss that. Stay right there. I'm Stacy on the right in for Tony Katz. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Tony Katz today. I'm Stacy Washington in for Tony. And so you have a wild ride coming at you for the next couple of hours. You know, I I have so much that we, I want to get into today. And Ari and I were having a really interesting discussion offline, and we'll get to that shortly. Um, right now, I just want to listen to this cut. I. I every time I listen to this, I kind of feel like the wild ride that is 2020. When do I get off? Like, when does someone stop this uh, merry-go-round and let me, you know, catch my breath? And when does it when does this end? So just take a listen. It's cut one. What President Trump has done in going his his spreading of racism, the way he deals with with, yeah. with people based on the color of their skin, their national origin, where they're from, is absolutely sickening. Yeah. No sitting president has ever done this. Never, never, never. No Republican president has done this. No Democratic president. We have racists, and they've existed, and they've tried to get elected president. He's the first one that has. And the way he pits people against one another is all designed to divide the country, divide people. So is that what President Trump is doing or is it the protesters, the vile, violent protesters? It, it, I think it's them. I do not think that what President Trump is doing has anything to do with race. I think what we're seeing is a man who is trying to, he has a desire to stop all of this horror and, and it is horrifying. If you go on Instagram, if you don't think it's horrible, go on Instagram, go on uh, riot fails on Instagram and look at what people are actually doing in Portland. They actually barricaded the feds in the building where they were gathering and tried to set it on fire to basically burn them to death. Now, you might say, well, did they burn them to death? No, they didn't. But are you saying that um, that is uh, that's okay? 
it cannot be that any person agrees with that. So I, I want to, I saw something earlier today, something about um, the founders and what they said about riots. And I was fascinated because um, one of the things that, that is most interesting to me about the way we live now is we kind of ignore the history and the arguments that have already been made. And I think that's part and parcel of our education system being taken over by liberals. And it's also part and parcel of us just our technology age. We don't look at history. We look at whatever someone just posted recently on whatever social media. I'm guilty of that as well. But there's something at the founders.archives.gov and it's John Adams. And he's making this argument on the third and fourth of December in 1770. It's called Adams argument for the defense. And He's talking about rioting. And so I can't read you this whole thing. It's very large. It's very, very lengthy. But in it, he says, if, if, a, so here, I'll, I'll just read you this small bit. And so perhaps the killing of dangerous rioters must may be justified by any private persons who cannot otherwise suppress them or defend themselves from them in as much as every private person seems to be authorized by the law to arm himself for the purposes aforesaid. Hawkins, page 71, 14, annotated number 12. Here, every private person is authorized to arm himself. And on the strength of this authority, I do not deny the inhabitants had a right to arm themselves at that time for their defense, not for the offense. That distinction is material and must be attended to. So he's talking about that because if a, he says if 10 people are gathered together, and they agree together to take any action that is illegal or unlawful, the minute they start taking that action, they are a riot. That is what he said. So if, they, if they're spray painting graffiti or if they're setting something on fire or if they're removing barricades that are set up by uh, law enforcement or public officials to help direct traffic or to protect right-of-ways for pedestrians, the minute they start doing that, they are a riot. And then the action that are taken by the few are attributed to everyone who's participating. So if two or three people in a riot poke holes in someone's car and pull them from the car and begin to beat them and everyone else is just screaming and yelling or observing and taping, you know, on their phones, videoing everyone present who isn't trying to stop it is a part of it and is therefore committing the action. It's the similar to the concept that we see when uh, a group of people drive uh, to maybe a 7-Eleven and two of them jump out and go inside and commit armed robbery. Well, the two that are still in the car are still guilty of whatever happens inside because they're participating. So if the two inside shoot anyone and kill them or even shoot them, period, any, any action they take, all of the people, the getaway drivers, everybody, they're all guilty of the same things and are all charged with the same things and they, the same actions are attributed to them. That, that is routine. That's nothing new. And he's saying it's the same thing for a riot. So the question is why do we see a sustained rioting? We're going on the 60th day of sustained rioting in Portland, Oregon. Not to mention the psychological consequences for the individuals who are participating. They're now trained their, their, their uh, personalities have been changed. 
before in the beginning, they were riding and they took these actions of their own volition. They weren't forced to do it. Some of them may be receiving some kind of payment for it through a Soros organization. You know, that, that remains to be seen. But they were in the beginning partaking of it. Now it's a habit for them. That whole 21 days to form a habit thing is kind of not exactly true. It actually takes more like 41 to 50 some odd days to form a habit. But we're well past all of that. So now these are habitually violent people. And the only recourse for them, because they're not going to stop on their own, obviously, is that they should have been stopped immediately. Day one, the first unlawful action that they took, they should have been arrested and prosecuted. But because they were arrested and released onto the streets over and over and over again by these Soros prosecutors, they have become basically a force of lawlessness that now you have the feds coming in to contain them and they're objecting to the methods the feds are using coming in military gear, driving up in unmarked vehicles, which I'm actually glad that the feds don't have their own marked vehicles because how much more of our money can they waste? Come on. So they're pulling up and snatching these people up off the streets while they're in the commission of a crime. That's what happens when you get up underneath the Patriot Act and other federal forms of law enforcement. I'm not, I'm not into unmarked vehicles picking up people off the street, but I also think, you know, you mess with the bull, you get the horns. I'm a law enforcement supporter, not just because I think that it's right and good for if you break the law to expect some kind of action against what you're doing, but because my dad was in law enforcement my entire life. It, he's been carrying the badge and the gun. He just recently retired from his second career in law enforcement. And if it's one thing he drummed into my sister and I, it was that we don't want to try to take on the police. He said, it's a, it's a, it's an interaction you cannot win because even if you feel like you won on the physical which he advised us against because, I mean, we're both girls. My sister and I, we don't have the upper body strength or the muscle mass to be able to take on armed police officers. But it's also a losing proposition because even if you win physically, there's still the prosecutorial step that comes after that, where prosecutors are charging you and making your life miserable because you made dumb choices. So this is this goes all the way back to 1770. That when people engage in illegal activity, everyone present is guilty of the illegal activity. That in and of itself means that all of the mayors and town leaders and whoever, the, whatever the little titles are, they've all participated in and enabled the destruction of private property. And I, I was listening again. I was on YouTube listening to one of the people over there who does videos and he played the audio yet again of this meeting in Chicago where Mayor Lightfoot is on with 50 aldermen for the city of Chicago. And one of them who has been a detractor of hers, his name is Lopez. He's going on and on about how she has to do something because the lawlessness is spilling over into neighborhoods. And he says, you can't let them come in the neighborhoods. What if they decide to break into people's houses because they think they have something? He said, my constituents are scared. We're afraid. You have to do something. And she says, you can't tell me what to do. And, you know, basically just lets off with a stream of profanity. I know a lot of people make fun of the way she looks, but after reading what she said and hearing on the, on the audio of that, of that conference call, it makes you wonder, well, first of all, how did, how did the people of Chicago, there are millions of people there. It's a huge major city. How did they come up with the idea to elect her as their mayor? And so, you know, we get what we vote for. 
I say that and I, I invariably always get some foul mouthed, awful person who emails me and says, well, you're just you. First of all, you want to be white. You want to be a white person, which means I'm black, which is the truth. I am black, but I don't want to be a white person. Um, and that's after hearing Joe Biden tell me that I'm not black because I don't want to vote for him because I'm I'm as clear as day. I'm not voting for Joe Biden. So Democrats can't even get their insults straight. Meanwhile, their elected officials are actually advocating for lawlessness and they're not being recalled. So I don't care what your political affiliation is. If you're sitting here listening to me right now and you're in a city that is currently rocked by armed, angry rioters destroying property and you haven't gotten together with everybody on your block out in in somebody's front yard or somebody's backyard or some Zoom conference call if you're socially distancing and talked about getting a recall petition together, then what are you doing? It takes no research at all, literally two or three taps on your phone to find out what your options are for getting rid of a political leader who refuses to just uphold the law. That's the minimum. I mean, we're when I look at someone who's going to run an entire area like St. Louis County, I'm not just looking for them to do the minimum, which is uphold the law, prosecute people who break the law, assist in pr- the prosecution of people who break the law. I'm looking for someone who has clear thinking uh, policy ideas that will improve situations that are currently a problem. I mean, I guess we just have to go back to the basics. Do you believe that the police should arrest people who are breaking the law? And do you believe prosecutors should prosecute them? That's where we are right now. All right. I hear the music. We'll be back with more after these very important messages here on Tony Katz today. I'm Stacey Washington. Hey, welcome back to Tony Katz today. I'm Stacey Washington. And uh, I just, I hope that, um, I hope that as we're moving through the show today, that what is being gotten out of this whole discussion um, I, cause I'm not into the demonization of, of, you know, innocent people who maybe are just convinced of one thing that is incorrect, but I also am not into normalizing or giving excuses for the kind of behavior that we're seeing where people are dying. And, um, so I, I would, li- I would like to make the, just make the point that both of the operations that are going on right now that the president has initiated with the federal law enforcement agencies, are named after children who've been killed in the riots, tiny children, four-year-olds. So if that's not a problem, like I just wonder what is going on with a person that is not absolutely stunned by that, that small children are getting killed. So I'm, I'm interested in a lot of uh, going back and forth. I'm always, I'm always fine with having a discussion, but what I find out is, that when I say I'm fine with the discussion and then the person starts asking for details, like especially on Twitter, I don't even do it anymore. You get engaged with someone who says, well, I don't really believe what you believe. And then they start asking you, well, prove to me this, prove to me that. So you provide them with links. And after spending all that time, you know, finding this link, finding that link and link and and texting it over or tweeting it over, then they'll say, well, I never, you know, I'll I'll still never agree with such and such, or you're still a racist or you're still an uncle Tom or something like that. Really? So you didn't bother to read any of the links. The whole point of this exercise was for you to get me to spend my whole afternoon or 10 minutes or 30 minutes tweeting back and forth with you and sharing information just so you could tell me that I'm still a racist. And oh, by the way, I'm still permanently tanned. I'm black. 
So, you know, I don't have time for that exercise, but I'll always have time for discussing the truth and for reorienting the conversation. This isn't about President Trump wanting martial law. This isn't about him refusing to participate in the peaceful transfer of power, which, by the way, look who's accusing him of that. His chief accuser on whether or not he'll accept the results of the 2020 election is the same person who accused him of not being willing to do that in the 2016 election, and that's Hillary Clinton. Only we now have proof that the person who really wasn't willing to accept it was Hillary Clinton and, by proxy, Barack Obama, and that they actually made stuff up and put it into a dossier and used that to prevent him from being elected. And then when that didn't work, their plan B, to investigate him and get him impeached. And they've been doing that for three and a half years. And so she's popped back up like a -a whack-a-mole on steroids, and she's here with the same accusation again, refreshed with new Botox for her face for 2020. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's the most classic case of projection there ever was, unless you just got here and you haven't seen all the other projecting they've been doing for the past three and a half years. So I'm, I'm... I'm flabbergasted. And then just in case you're wondering, because I'm in St. Louis County um, and Tony actually used to do a show here locally before he became WIBC's biggest star. He was on 97.1 here locally. And it was an amazing thing because he didn't live here, but he was almost a local presence, even though he wasn't actually here. And so he's been a part of like our St. Louis community um, even though he doesn't live here, he's been a part of us like since since then and even before. And I just have been so interested in seeing how we're going to handle um, the 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 progression of the the COVID nineteen. And so i i want to I want to get to that now. Um, talking about the. Hmm, and it's, I, I'm trying not to be incendiary here. I don't want to be, you know, ripping into people. But it's this audio from Dr. Burks where she talks about the coronavirus false, false positives that I saw on Instagram and trying to understand why we don't have better information and why why so many incompetent people are in charge of handling the coronavirus. And, and I'm not expecting perfection. This isn't an issue of people having to be perfect because there are no perfect people. We cannot be perfect in our response to something like a pandemic, but we can say, you know, it's about time we kind of backed off of this thing for just a second, because the idea in the beginning was that we would flatten the curve so that we didn't overwhelm hospitals. And a lot of numbers were tossed about 1.1 million, 950,000, 850,000. I even heard numbers as low as 750,000 available beds in the, in the entire country. And that was because you had to factor in the number of people who were currently in beds and hospitals across the country for other things like heart disease, heart attacks, you know, whatever shootings. You're in a bed, you're in a hospital bed, and it's because you need, you know, medical care. So those people aren't going to be wiped away just because of coronavirus patients. So it was the idea was we can't have coronavirus spread unabated across the country, because if it does, it will overwhelm our medical system and people will die needlessly. So we quarantined, but we didn't quarantine the sick. We quarantined everyone. We crashed the economy. And so here we are now we're tentatively reopening and everywhere we reopen, we see spikes in cases, which is due in part to the interaction of people with each other. Also due in part to the fact that we're testing now more than ever. 
and also due in part to the part you never hear this on CBS, CNN, MSNBC. The other reason why we're seeing more cases is because we have a huge number of false positives because they're also counting anyone who comes in for an antibody test and tests positive for the antibody, meaning they had it. They're counting that as a positive case of coronavirus, but that's not a current positive case. They're also not reporting the people who've recovered. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not a mathematician or a rocket scientist or a lawyer, uh, but I do have a functioning brain with synapses that fire with regularity. And so should not the number of people who've recovered be number of cases minus number of people who've passed away from COVID-19, the people who are left after three or four weeks, right, the, the virus has run its course, that's the number of people who've recovered. But every website I go to, it'll say, you know, 30 or 40,000 people have had coronavirus in this particular city. And then it'll show number of recovered cases, like 640. And then number of deaths, you know, 2,800 and something. So what happened to all the other people? Are they still infected? They basically have permanent corona? Or like, what is going on? So there, And then the CDC now is revising numbers down drastically. And also there's the case of many areas in Florida where they administered tests and the people, it's 100% of the people who were administered the test came back with positive, they were positive for coronavirus. And then there are the stories coming out from testing locations across the country where someone signs up to take the COVID-19 test. They show up to the drive through or walk-up area. The line is long. They wait, and then they decide, you know, I can't wait any longer. I have to go whatever. So they leave. And then later, they get a letter in the mail saying they tested positive for, for, for coronavirus. Well, they never were tested. They were, their nose was never swabbed. They never made it up to the front of the line to actually be tested. So factor all of those things in and you come to the place where now we're talking about the, the, the mask wearing and how upsetting it is for people because some people can't breathe. They're having panic attacks. They have asthma. They have COPD, any number of other medical conditions that would preclude you from wearing a mask outside everywhere that you go. So those people are not wanting to wear masks. There are other people who believe that what it says on the side of the mask box, mask box is true. The mask, the, the, the one that looks like the medical masks that people are buying in boxes of 50, they're selling them everywhere, they're handing them out everywhere. They're saying that those masks do not protect you from coronaviruses. It says it right on the side of the box. So you're like, well, why am I wearing it then? Well, I actually interviewed the, uh, the Surgeon General of the United States on my SiriusXM show, and he was talking about... Um, so it's a certain level of the virus that you have to interact with in order to catch it. So the mask prevents the droplets from your mouth when you talk, sneeze, cough, whatever, whenever your mouth's open from going to other people. So it doesn't prevent all of the virus from being transmitted, but it prevents enough of it so that you don't get to the level where you've transmitted enough of the virus for it to be a transmission, a full blown transmission. So I actually was listening to him and thinking, okay, that makes sense. If only people explained it that way so that those of us out there who read the box and say this does not prevent corona, well, so help us to understand. So understanding that, it still doesn't rise to the level of jailing people, which is what we're seeing now. Not people being jailed, but people 
so city councils across the country are saying, if you refuse to wear the mask, we're going to pass an ordinance that says that you can be fined a thousand dollars or or put in jail, that it's a class four misdemeanor or, you know, what have you. The language that they're using surrounding this is if it's as if you're transmitting a deadly disease that could kill you. Like it's not even a crime in California anymore to knowingly transmit AIDS to someone. So to have unprotected sex with someone and give them the AIDS virus used to be a crime in the state of California, as it is most everywhere else in the country. So if you know you have AIDS and you knowingly have unprotected sex with someone else and they get it, that was a crime. It is no longer a crime in California. But in some places in America right now today, because of ordinances passed just recently, you actually could go to jail for not wearing a mask if convicted and sentenced where in California, you can actually give someone a disease that will kill them and nothing, not a crime. And don't even get me started on the other things you can do, like raping people, kidnapping them, doing all kinds of stuff where judges sentence individuals who've done those things and been convicted to time served. So six months or something, or, even less than that, suspended sentences where they serve no jail time at all for doing those kinds of things, but not putting a piece of useless semi-woven cloth over your face is worthy of you actually going into jail? Can you see the inequities there? I certainly can. So that's, that's what we're dealing with here. False positives on the test side. The refusal to acknowledge that we accomplished the original goal and we no longer need to shut down the economy. We need to now allow the virus to transmit and work its way through so that we can get herd immunity. This false reliance on um, the so-called vaccine that's going to come. Like everyone's like, oh, well, when we get the vaccine, everything can go back to normal. Really? How are you going to get everyone to take it? Will it be take the vaccine or go to jail? What are you going to do? How are you going to force millions of people who are now absolutely determined not to take the vaccine to take it? So there, there's a there's a lot here that doesn't make any sense. And the answer is not to start coercing people into doing things they don't want to do because a lot of people are afraid. Decisions made out of fear are pretty much universally the wrong decision to make. Um. So there, yeah, we're, we, I see the time. I want to go to the break now so we can stick with the clock. Um, I'm Stacey Washington and for Tony Katz on Tony Katz today. Be right back. Welcome back to Tony Katz today. I'm Stacy on the right and I'm having a great time being with you today. Uh, I hope Tony is having all the fun smoking all the cigars and eating all the best food today um, and enjoying himself because I'm here enjoying myself. And now I want to give you uh, just I'm going to get to the pandemic pods next hour because I want to make sure we have enough time to fully engage with it. Um, and also the McCloskey's were t- I was talking about how we're going to discuss their the the gun not working and the prosecutor and all that. We're going to get to that as well. But I want to give you this, this story. It's, uh, it's about Fauci who has become kind of like a cult hero in a way. Um, you either hate him and think he's an idiot or you think he's just the coolest thing since sliced bread. And there seems to be not many people in between. So Fauci who is a career bureaucrat and has been in Washington under many, many different administrations 
um, so he's worked with Republicans and Democrats, has some interesting uh, problems that are coming to light right now. And this story is over at justthenews.com. Fauci's infectious disease agency broke federal spending law and rules, according to audits. So the NIAID violated time and amount rules and anti-deficiency act by spending dollars before they were appropriated. And this is according to the inspector general who's issued a report on the matter. So Fauci heads up the national Institute for allergies and infectious diseases. And he's been cited several times over the years for failing to comply with federal contract and expenditure laws. Now I want to just, first of all, say um, they have so many rules and regulations for these agencies that if you don't maintain a staff that is extra vigilant like OCD with making sure you're in compliance, you can fall out of compliance with these things. It's the same as our tax laws. It's the same as almost everything. There's way more regulations than there need to be, which is why President Trump has been so diligent in slicing seven regulations for every new one that's been instituted in his administration. And that's worth pointing out because it's important to us that we reduce regulations as we implement new ones because the new ones are invariably going to nullify the old ones, some of them. That's why we have these laws that contradict each other, because most elected officials are interested in putting new laws in, but they're never interested in going over the books and saying, you know, these here are some laws that don't make any sense. They, they actually contradict these laws over here. So which of these you, you see what I'm saying? So um, that has to be done. So as scrutiny of Fauci's role in managing the pandemic grows, the nation's infectious disease specialist has actually defended himself by citing his long record in government. But that record includes several ethics and patient safety controversies on his watch, as well as numerous citations for violating contract, quote, time and quote, amount rules in the Anti-Deficiency Act, which is federal law. Now, a 2011 report by the Department of Health and Human Services Inspector General is emblematic of the repeated problems. Investigators examined a $54.8 million multi-year federal contract to help Fauci's agency build and manage a statistical and data coordinating center for medical research project and found that NIAID spent tax dollars before they were appropriated by Congress. Afterwards, they didn't account for the monies as required by federal regulations. Now, NIAID did not, did not comply with the time and amount requirements specified by the statutes. The agency violated both the Bonafide Needs Rule and the Anti-Deficiency Act by obligating funds in advance of an appropriation. Now, the National Institutes for Health actually admitted the failures, and the IG ordered Fauci's agency to report to Congress that it had violated the law. Similarly, in 2012, an IG report found a $244.5 million multi-year contract executed by the agency for research support wrongly spent monies it did not legally have in one year and failed to spend monies Congress had ordered for subsequent years. Now, this is something that goes back to the person who's actually doing the budget management the line item expenditures and the reconciliation for that that happens on a monthly and then yearly basis by that person or persons who are doing that job in the federal government, if they don't execute that job correctly, then you end up with these kinds of violations. And I know that because that was my mom's job for, oh, 40 years, I think. Um, she, she had a very long run as a budget analyst working with multi-billion budget or multi-billion dollar budgets um, in the federal 
contracting sphere. So I know this because she used to talk about reconciliation at the end of the year and how important it was to make sure that money was either spent because it would be lost and et cetera, et cetera. So Fauci has had uh, some interesting, uh, you know, career high points and low points. Not a surprise, actually. All right. That's our one of Tony Katz today. I'm Stacey Washington. We'll be back with more after this.